Go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 13. This morning, we're continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we're going to be looking today at a study I've titled Persevering Through Difficulty. Anybody gone through a time of difficulty recently? No, I didn't think so. No, put your hands down. Come on. There's nobody here that's had that. <laughs> There's like surefire things in this season where like if you talk about it, you know it's like going to land on someone's heart and, and kind of garner a response. That's, that's, that's not the intention from my title, um, but it's true. We're going through, many of us are going through some difficult things, and uh, I know for sure that many of you are. And uh, I pray today that the Lord ministers to you. But our main text this morning as we look at the study is going to be Acts 13, verses 13 and 14. And uh, just for some context, just to kind of keep in mind what we've been studying as we've been making our way through Acts. Uh, in our study last week, we finished looking at Paul and Barnabas' time on the island of Cyprus. Uh, this is the first place that they went to after being sent off by the Holy Spirit for the work that the Holy Spirit had for them. We saw the openness that the Roman proconsul or governor of the island, Sergius Paulus, had to hearing the word of God be preached, but how there was this demonic opposition to the gospel being brought through a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet who went by the name of Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus, who we're also told was named Elymas, or the wise one. Elymas sought to turn the proconsul away from the faith, but God intervened. Very timely sort of move of the Spirit of God, bringing Paul and Barnabas to Paphos from the other side of the island. God intervenes. He fills Paul with the Spirit. The Lord uses Paul to bring about a disciplinary sort of judgment on Elymas in the form of blindness for a temporary uh, for a so, sort of a season of time. And not only was God using this to remove the opposition that was preventing Sergius Paulus from turning in faith to Jesus, but he was also wanting to use this to humble Elymas, bring him to a place of repentance in the same way that he used Paul's blindness years earlier to bring Paul to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus. We've seen over the last couple weeks, there wasn't widespread revival with thousands or even hundreds of people getting saved as Paul and Barnabas preached on the island of Cyprus, but the gospel was preached. The seed of God's word was planted in the soil of people's hearts, and God was clearly after the one, as we considered last week. He was using all of this ministry to ultimately lead the Roman proconsul, maybe the most influential person on the island of Cyprus to a place of belief in the Lord. And as we saw, astonishment at the teaching of the Lord. And I think that's important because when it's all sort of the, the awe at the, the, the miraculous, a lot of times that can just provoke sort of a, a, an emotional sort of response without real substance, no real depth. And so it was important that it wasn't just, man, he was excited that Elymas was blinded. No, he was astonished. He was amazed at this teaching about Jesus Christ that he heard. There was now something because of the gospel of Jesus, the connection from Old Testament prophecies even for Sergius Paulus, where now his faith would not be grounded in experience. It wouldn't be grounded in an emotional response, but it would be grounded in truth. Really important for you and me today as well. But now this morning, before we dive into Paul's first recorded sermon, the, the preaching that's going to take place from verses 16 through 41 which we're going to look at the next two weeks after today, I want to provide some background and context for what we're going to be studying that will hopefully give us a better perspective once we study those verses. But we're also going to see some of the difficulties that Paul and Barnabas faced and how they persevered through those difficulties and hopefully prayerfully through that find some application for us today 
as we go through difficulty, how the Lord might minister to us and help us navigate through those things. And so with that in mind, let's actually read verses 13 through 16 first before we jump in and, and look at these two verses. So verses 16 through, or sorry, Acts 13, verse 13. It says, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the ruler, rulers of the synagogue sent to them saying, men and brethren, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? Say on. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. You know, at first glance, as we read these verses, nothing might really cause us to think that there was some sort of difficulty or difficulties being faced with maybe the exception of reading that John, their assistant, departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. I mean, they just faced some strong opposition before leaving Cyprus, but finally things seem to be going smoothly and and they're even being invited to speak in the synagogue on the sabbath by the synagogue rulers i mean stuff seems to finally be working out for these guys stuff's finally gonna go smoothly or so we might think the thing is difficulty and trials were happening hard things that were further shaping and strengthening these men spiritually were taking place during this time. But God was using these difficult things to lead these men and build into these men a perseverance and endurance, a, a steadfastness of faith and character and hope that would be needed in the new opportunities and challenges that they were going to face as they continued their missionary journey. And in our study today, I pray God helps us to see how he's wanting to use the difficulties we're facing to lead us, to build into us a perseverance and endurance, a steadfastness of faith and character and hope as we seek to live for Jesus Christ as well. And so with that in mind, look again at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13, he says, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John departing from them returned to Jerusalem. Right away for me, two things stick out in this verse. The, the first thing that sticks out to me is that Luke seems to note a change that took place in this missionary team. No longer putting Barnabas's name before Paul's, which is what he had done up to this point, which seemed to note in prior verses that Barnabas had more of a leadership role. But Luke now noting that Paul and his party set sail. Paul liked to party. No, Paul and his party, different, different thing. My name is Paul and I like to party. But this seems to tell us that Barnabas, in a great display of humility, saw what God was doing in and through Paul's life. And, and he was content to put Paul forward before himself to, to flourish in the giftings, the anointing, the, the role that God was giving to him. Barnabas was really a special guy. There's not too many people that would be willing to do this sort of thing to to be called by the Spirit, even being the first person to be spoken by the Spirit of God, the first name to be sort of lifted up, to be the, the person who was always sort of out front. He was the one that brought Paul along before. He was the one back in Jerusalem after Paul first came to Jerusalem the first time when the rest of the apostles wouldn't accept, at that time, Saul, as a member of the body of Christ, it was Barnabas that went and grabbed Saul and brought him and said, no, God's done something in his life. 
He was the one who put his name, his reputation on the line for Saul. It was Barnabas years later that sought out Saul to bring him to Antioch to minister alongside him to the this newly birthed church there and the amazing work of God that was happening. There was, it was Barnabas and Saul who were teaching the people of Antioch for a whole year. There was this role that God had given him that he, he walked and he was confident in, but he held it with open hands before the Lord. And I think for us, oftentimes what can happen is our pride can get in the way, not all the time, but there are these moments where we feel like I can't let go of this thing. God gave it to me. And I think especially when it comes to relational sorts of things, it can be hard to take a back seat to somebody else. And yet Barnabas is this amazing example for us. Again, let's, remi- let's remind ourselves, not an apostle. Not even, we're okay. Not even a noted deacon within the church. Thank you guys. And yet God was using him in powerful ways. Barnabas was an everyday sort of believer like you and me. Walked by faith, relied upon the spirit. Wanted to be a blessing, wanted to point others to Jesus Christ. And so when the time came as they're ministering, at some point here on the island of Cyprus, Barnabas notes something about what God was doing through the life of Paul, and he was able to celebrate that thing. We're not told that here, but knowing the character that's been noted about Barnabas in the past, knowing that Barnabas was this son of encouragement, we can take away from Barnabas that that in this moment he would have been like, yes! praising God for what he was doing through Paul's life. I think when Paul wrote in Philippians about preferring others as better than ourselves, I think Paul very well could have had Barnabas in mind. He could have been thinking as he wrote that to the Philippian church, man, Barnabas, he exemplified this. He had the mind of Christ. He was a humble dude. And these are such great examples for us to hold the things that God puts in our hands with open hands and not get a death grip on it. To be able to note like Job did, the Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be his name. What do we have that's really ours? What do we have that God didn't first give us? Isn't everything a result of his grace in our lives? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. I love this example here. Barnabas' focus wasn't on himself, it was on Jesus. Barnabas wasn't trying to build his own little kingdom. He wasn't trying to advance his own agenda. Instead, he just wanted to see Jesus' kingdom grow, be furthered as the gospel went out to unbelievers and the lost were brought into the body of Christ. The second thing that, that sticks out to me is that once they left the island of Cyprus and they got to Perga in Pamphylia, which was on the southern coast of Asia Minor, which w- would be modern-day South Central Turkey. I won't pull in my South Central joke there. Again, I think I've done it several times. They were gangsters. I did it, I know. I can't help myself. I'm sorry, you know me. <laughs> Luke notes that John departed from them and he returned to Jerusalem, which was actually John Mark's hometown. Now, Luke doesn't give us more info behind this here, but we do get the sense from the contention that's going to take place between Barnabas and Paul at the end of Acts chapter 15, where Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them on their second missionary journey, but Paul insists that they don't take him with them 
that John Mark's departure was more of a desertion. It was not an honorable sort of departure. And it was definitely viewed by Paul as a lack of faithfulness to the work that they had been called to. Paul and Barnabas had invested in this young man. They had brought him from Jerusalem to Antioch. They then took him with them on this missionary journey that the Holy Spirit had separated them to. And now all of a sudden, John Mark bails on them. Their team of three is now down to two. Whatever help John Mark provided is now gone. And from a purely human or relational level, even though we're not told specifically how this impacted Paul and Barnabas, this was probably discouraging and disappointing and frustrating and a a source of difficulty relationally. There's lots of assumptions made about why he left. But what becomes clear is that his leaving left a mark, pun intended, John Mark, left a mark. Regardless of the actual reason, John departing from them no doubt caused difficulty for them as that fellowship they had been experiencing was now fractured to a certain degree with him leaving the way that he did. It it definitely drove a wedge in between Paul and Barnabas later on. But I love that Paul and Barnabas persevered through that difficulty. It didn't They didn't let it jade them towards people. People that they were called to love and serve and share the gospel with and disciple. And they just kept moving forward with their eyes on Jesus, making their lives all about him and his kingdom and not about themselves. Let's continue on. Look at verse 14. It says, but when they departed from Perga, They came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. Their journey has now taken them into Asia Minor, which was a a geographical designation for the Anatolian Peninsula, which is the western half of modern-day Turkey. And it included portions of regions of Cappadocia and Lyconia and Galatia and Phrygia. From Perga... They came to Antioch in Pisidia, which is where Paul's preaching in the synagogue is going to take place for a good chunk of this chapter. Now, this is not Syrian Antioch or Antioch on the Orontes River, the the Antioch where Barnabas and Saul had left from initially when sent out by the Holy Spirit. No, this was a different Antioch. And actually, there were, I think, upwards of like 16 different cities in the Roman Empire that were actually called Antioch. The man who named them just had a real strange complex about wanting to create a bunch of cities named Antioch. Antioch in Pisidia is also known as Pisidian Antioch, and it was because it was near Pisidia, which was over 100 miles north of Perga through the Taurus mountain range in an, in an area or region known as Galatia. See, when we read the, the book of Galatians in the New Testament, it's not one specific city or, or area, or sorry, not one specific church. Galatia was a, a region. So when Paul wrote to the Galatians, he was writing to the churches that were in the region of Galatia in southern Asia Minor. And Pisidian Antioch was actually the most notable Roman colony in southern Galatia. They've done excavations over the years. They found remnants of a theater, an aqueduct system. And uh, there was actually, because uh, emperor worship was so big in that day, there was a, a, a temple to Caesar where you would worship the emperor there in Pisidian Antioch. Now, the interesting thing is that we're not, uh, the interesting thing is what we're not told here after getting to Perga and then departing. Perga was the capital of Pamphylia, and normally 
there would be a, a strong effort by Paul and Barnabas in these larger or capital cities where more people live to get the gospel out and intentionality to, to preach the gospel in synagogues and in streets and wherever they could preach. But I want us to notice that there's no mention of them preaching the gospel at all in the city of Perga. We'll see at the end of this first missionary journey towards the end of chapter 14 that they're going to come back through this area and will preach in Perga. But when they first arrived in Perga, they didn't preach at all, or at least not that we're told by Luke here. Now, I don't believe this was a failing on Paul and Barnabas's part, but that there were other things happening. There was a, a difficulty they were experiencing on top of the relational difficulty that had already happened with John Mark that actually necessitated them moving on without preaching that Luke just, just doesn't record for us here. And with a tiny bit of assumption, but also some info from what Paul writes elsewhere, it seems that the reason that they didn't preach the gospel in Perga before departing was that Paul actually became ill. And that God in some way used this illness to guide them to Pisidian Antioch in the region of Galatia. Check out what Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. He said, You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed, he asked. For I, I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. See, when Paul came to Pisidian Antioch in the region of Galatia for the first time, clearly he was in bad health. A physical affliction in his flesh that seemed to affect his eyes. And some scholars believe that it might have been in Perga, in that coastal plain, that Paul actually contracted malaria. Something common that would be found in the city of Perga and in that low-lying valley there as people were coming into ports. Antioch and Pisidia was... 3,600 feet above sea level. It was an area that some who were infected with malaria would travel up into where the higher elevation, the colder weather would help alleviate the effects of the malaria fever. And this is possibly what Paul did as well as they traveled inland and into the mountains. But can you imagine feeling that terrible and having to make an over 100 mile journey up into the mountains? That sounds terrible to me. That sounds like the last thing that any of us would want to have to do. You mean I had this really terrible fever? In fact, uh, people described in that day that it felt like a hot bar being thrust through the temple. The malarian fever would feel that way and oftentimes malaria affecting the eyesight of those who contracted that disease. This is very possibly what Paul was experiencing and why they didn't preach the gospel in Perga, and yet God had a plan even then. You know, I think about those times where something happens in our lives, and sometimes what we feel like is, wow, that really derailed God's plan. I don't know how God could use this. I don't know how God could be in it. I don't know how God could take something so terrible and bring about good from it. And yet as we look at the entirety of Scripture, the testimony of Scripture speaks to us the opposite of what oftentimes we feel when we're going through something hard. When we're going through something hard and we're feeling like, God, you're, where are you? Feeling like he's absent. Feeling like he, he couldn't have a purpose in this. There, 
There couldn't be some sort of good. He couldn't be glorified through this thing. The testimony of Scripture speaks the opposite to our feelings. We look at Joseph's life in the Old Testament, and we see that his brothers, they sold him into slavery. Okay, that was bad enough, but then he's doing great. He gets raised up in Potiphar's house. He's ruling over everything Potiphar had. Everything was under Joseph's hand. And then Potiphar's wife lies about him and saying that he raped her. And so Potiphar throws him into prison. Well, how could God use that? How is God going to bring good out of that? He's in prison. God gives him favor. The, the, the guy that was over the prison puts everything under Joseph's hand. All of a sudden, Joseph's controlling everything in the prison as a prisoner. Kind of a funny thing. Everything's going pretty well, even though he's in prison. The butler and the baker, the candlestick maker get, no, candlestick maker wasn't a part of that. They find themselves in prison. Someone had wronged Pharaoh and God gives Joseph an interpretation of this dream and one of the guys gets restored. One of the guys gets beheaded and the dude that gets restored forgets about Joseph for about two years. And you think about this and you're going, how, like, God, where were you in that? <laughs> you think about all the difficulties that he went through and yet Joseph trusted his God. He kept clinging to his God. He kept trying to be faithful and persevering no matter the difficulty that he found himself in. And he wasn't doing anything wrong to get himself in those positions. It's not like he was sinning and God was judging him for it. And I love it that eventually, you know, he's raised up. He's second in command over all of Egypt. No one greater besides Joseph except for Pharaoh himself. And as Joseph, he finally confronts his brothers, he reveals himself to his brothers later on. He goes, look, what you meant for evil, God brought about for good, the salvation of many. What kind of eternal perspective do we have to have in order to see our difficulties the way that Joseph did? Because I go through much less less like a, a lesser degree of difficulty than joseph did and yet i can find myself thinking like god how could you use this how can i keep going how can i you know we all of us have dealt with relational difficulties to some degree over this last 13 months and we can feel like giving up when it comes to other people that's not god's heart though Clearly, as Paul got to Pisidian Antioch, he's dealing with some physical difficulties. And I love it that all we're told in the book of Acts is that they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. The rulers of the synagogue, maybe noting that Paul was a, a rabbi, maybe they'd heard something about Paul before, like this guy trained under Gamaliel. He's here. Maybe not knowing that Paul had been saved. Giving him the floor. You have any word of encouragement for the people? Say on. Say whatever you want. Paul gets up and he just starts motioning with his hand. It's totally a preacher thing. You're using your hands for stuff. And he addresses the people. But behind that, Paul was not doing well physically. He's having a hard time. Paul persevered in this difficulty of health, not because he was so strong and nothing fazed him, but because our God is strong and gave strength and grace to Paul. It was in trials, it was in affliction, it was in suffering, it was in difficulty where Paul saw how great his own weakness was and he also saw how great and sufficient God's grace and power was in spite of his difficulty. Check out what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. He said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the re revelations, which he speaks about in the first section of verses in that chapter, 
a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, literally to pummel me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Who says that? Who goes through the sorts of things that Paul has and goes, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. If you said that to someone else that had no connection with the Lord, you know, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. They'd look at you like you were crazy. No, when you're weak, you're weak. When you're strong, you're strong. I think you got a little mixed up. But for those of us who know Jesus Christ personally have experienced his power, it's not about our strength. Our strength oftentimes is a source of pride, which actually causes us to see God's power less because we're relying on ourselves. But when we're weak, that's when God has an opportunity to show his strength in our lives. And those of us that ex have experienced the grace of God can say amen to that. God, you met me in my weakness. I prayed for you to do something to deliver me from that thing just like Paul did. And you didn't answer my prayer the way that I wanted you to, but you, you still moved. You still showed up. You still worked. You still delivered me, but maybe in a different way than I was praying for you to deliver me. It's unclear from that passage in 2 Corinthians 12 if that time frame of 14 years prior to him writing this specific letter was a situation that happened before him getting to Galatia or afterwards. But what's clear is that Paul dealt with difficult health issues, with weakness. He, he prayed for healing and didn't hear from the Lord that that healing was going to come, which all points to Paul experiencing things very much like us. Paul didn't show up in Pisidian Antioch feeling awesome, being at the top of his game physically. No, he was having a difficult time health-wise. Yet God met him where he was at, gave him the grace and the strength he was going to need to magnify Jesus Christ and fulfill the calling that God had placed upon his life, a grace, notice, to persevere through difficulty. We want the grace to just be, dif to, to be delivered from the difficulty, don't we? Lord, in your grace, just deliver me out of it. Just fix it. Remove it. God, in your grace, do that. That's the kind of grace that we want to experience is him just, just a supernatural fixing of our situation, our finances, our job, our relationships, our health. The struggles that we're going through inwardly Mentally, emotionally. It oftentimes, the grace that he wants to give us is not necessarily a grace to deliver us, but a grace to persevere. And it's not because he's cruel. It's not because he's not able to fix the thing or to heal or to deliver But maybe you, like me, have found in your life that oftentimes there's a greater kingdom work. There's a greater eternal work that God is doing in the difficulty that oftentimes is for us. 
There is a refining of our faith that he brings about. But you know what? Oftentimes it's not even just for us. It's for others. There's something that God's doing in the difficulty as we keep our eyes on Jesus, as we keep moving forward, trusting Jesus, a witness aspect to our persevering where God uses the difficulty as a testimony. And we feel like, well, God, there'd be a greater testimony if you just fixed it all together. Like, Lord, if you just healed, if you just moved, if, if you worked in the miraculous, there'd be a greater, there'd be a greater testimony. Right? That's how you should work. Have you ever told God what he should do? Like we think we know better than him. And yet God is often working things in the difficulty when he's not just removing it that actually will bring him greater glory than if he just fixed it altogether in that moment. His ways are higher. His wisdom is greater. Check out what we're told in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. I love this passage. Paul writing, he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Say what, Paul? Glory in tribulations? Glory in tribulations, he says. Why? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And he says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We can rejoice right now in the present, even in times of tribulation, of trouble, of difficulty, of trials, knowing that those things are producing perseverance. It's producing an endurance in us. And that perseverance is producing character. That, that word character referring to integrity, Christian maturity, greater Christ-likeness. And, and that, that character is producing hope. A confident expectation of future fulfillment. Hope. You know, many want that hope, but want to take a shortcut around the tribulations and perseverance and character to get it. I encourage all of us to not try to shortcut what God is desiring to do in us and around us through any trials or difficult circumstances that we're in right now. Trust God's process. He knows what he's doing and he knows what he's allowing. What God's wanting to produce through the trials, through the difficulty, are for the purpose of building our character and causing us to be a people of hope. We're to be a people of hope because we have a certain and promised future. Our hope is not just for this life, but for the life to come. And I'm confident this is a needed word of encouragement and exhortation for many today. You may be praying for the Lord to take away that difficulty, and the answer you're getting from the Lord is, I'm going to give you grace to persevere through the difficulty. Maybe the answer you're getting is, my strength is going to be made perfect in your weakness. And if we're honest, we might not like the Lord's answer. But know today that his grace is sufficient. It's enough for you, for me. It's what you and I need as we cling to Jesus. Just like with Paul, the Lord is wanting to develop perseverance in us as we go through difficulty. Whether that's relational difficulty or physical or financial or vocational or mental or emotional or spiritual that we would stand strong in him no matter what we face in this life because he's the one causing us to be able to stand. In the midst of the hurt others might have caused us or the difficulties we might be facing relationally, in the midst of health issues and challenges we might be going through presently or 
whatever that difficulty might be, we can trust that God has grace for us. That his grace is sufficient, that he has grace for us to face the difficulty and help us to persevere in the midst of that difficulty. We can trust that his strength is made perfect in our weakness and that he wants his power to rest upon our lives. Again, for Paul and Barnabas, difficulty and trials were happening. Hard things were further shaping and strengthening them spiritually at that time. But God was using these difficulties to lead them, to build into them this perseverance of faith and character and hope that would be needed in the opportunities and challenges that they're going to face as they continued their missionary journey, things that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. But I pray that God helps us to see how he's wanting to use our difficulties to draw us deeper in fellowship with him, to grow us in Christ, to lead and empower us and to build into us that perseverance of faith and character and hope as we live for Jesus Christ and his kingdom and his glory. I just want to, before we take communion this morning, I just want to do something a little bit different today. I just want to ask, as we're all gathered here this morning, and maybe even for those of you that have joined online, I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing, but if you're going through a time of difficulty right now, I'd like you to stand where you're at. I want to just pray for you all this morning. Whatever that is, it could be relational, financial, it could be a job, it could be stuff that you're dealing with in your mind and heart, it, some spiritual difficulty you're struggling. No one's thinking when you stand like, wow, this person's just not spiritual. Every one of us deals with difficulty. I just want to give us an opportunity to just kind of stand just going, Lord, you see that difficulty and I need you to work in my life this morning. I want to pray for you. Lord, I just, I pray for my friends here, God, as they've stood and maybe some others this morning who have joined online, God, who may be standing in living rooms or kitchens or bedrooms. God, you see where your people are at. God, you know the difficulties that they're facing. God, you not only see, but you care. You hear their cries, Lord. You know the things that they've been praying about, Lord. Maybe they've been praying for you to deliver them from that thing in your grace, but God, maybe the answer that you're giving them is that you're going to give them grace to persevere. God, that you're going to make your strength perfect in their weakness. God, I pray that they would trust you in their difficulties. God, I pray that you would move, Lord, in those things, God, that you would be working God, whether it's a relational issue, Lord, that it just needs your touch, God. They need your help, Lord. They need wisdom in dealing with that person or that those people. God, minister, Lord, bring comfort, bring healing. God, bring hope. God, if it's a physical issue, Lord, and there's, there's some sort of a health thing going on, Lord, I just ask God for, we do pray for healing. We ask God for you to, to fix whatever's wrong, Lord, to bring a wholeness, God, whether that's a physical ailment or some mental struggles, Lord, or emotional scars. God, bring healing and strength, but Lord, give grace, God, to persevere through those things if you don't decide to heal the way that we ask. God, that your people wouldn't lose heart, Lord, as they go through that difficulty. But Lord, that they would see your hand, they'd see your goodness, God, in the land of the living. And God, be able to even rejoice, Lord, as they go through those times of difficulty or suffering or trials. Lord, knowing that you're present, Lord, knowing that you're near, Lord, knowing that you are working, God. 
God, whatever it is that your people are going through this morning, if it's financial provision that's needed, God, would you show up in a miraculous way? But God, we pray that your all-sufficient grace would be poured out upon your people today. God, that the power of Christ would rest upon each and every one. We lift these people up to you today, Lord God. And pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. But look, as we are about to take communion, I want to also send an invitation to anyone else maybe today who, you know, it's not a difficulty, but the thing that needs to be dealt with this morning is maybe just a, an issue of where your salvation is. Maybe you've come here, maybe it's someone joining online, and for you, you know, you're going through difficulties just like the rest of us, but you're going through the difficulties without having the Lord in your life. You want the power of Christ to rest upon you, but you need, you need Christ to be seated on the throne of your heart first. I want to give you an invitation this morning, if that's anybody this morning, that, you know what, what needs to be dealt with first is just where the salvation of your soul lies. Jesus wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He won't overrule your choosing. He wants you to choose him. He's made salvation available to all. The Lord has said in his word that he desires that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so if you've joined us today and you don't have just a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to be your savior and Lord. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sins. I'm gonna give you that invitation right now. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I do pray for any this morning that may have joined us who don't have that personal relationship with you, Lord. They don't have that confidence from your word that they are saved, Lord, that when they breathe their last breath here on earth, that they'll be with you in heaven for all eternity. And look, if that's you this morning and you need to make that decision for Jesus Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do something bold and I'm gonna ask you to stand where you're at. If that's you this morning, I wanna pray for you that the Lord would come into your life. Is that anybody here this morning? You need to have your sins forgiven, to know that your debt has been paid. Maybe somebody online even this morning, that's you. I just encourage you in your own heart to just to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need your salvation. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? you cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. Jesus, I repent of my sin. I, I turn away from it today. And I put my trust, my faith, my hope in you. Jesus, be my Savior, be my Lord, be my God, be my friend. And Father, would you fill me with your Spirit and help me to live for you? Jesus, I believe in you today. I just encourage you, as you've done that, the Bible says that you will be saved. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as the worship team comes back up, Lord, as we take of the communion elements this morning, you guys can grab those. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, sharing with the church in Corinth about the revelation he was given by the Lord. He said, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is, cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So let's do that this morning. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. God, again, we just ask, God, that we would see you. Lord, give us an eternal perspective on our present circumstances. Lord, our present difficulties. God, give us a perseverance, Lord. That, Lord, we wouldn't try to escape the difficulty, but, Lord, that we would cling to you in the difficulty. That, God, we would see you in the difficulty. And that, God, you would be glorified in and through our lives in those difficulties, God. Make our lives that walking testimony to the power of Jesus Christ. And, Lord, as we look at this bread and we consider, Lord, that Jesus, on the same night that you were betrayed, you took it. You broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, take eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's do that this morning. Let's take the bread together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, let's drink of the cup as well. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your great sacrifice that, Lord, you gave your body upon the cross, nailed, Lord, to that Roman cross after being tortured, hanging there in our place, Lord, our substitute, the pure and perfect spotless lamb of God. Lord, your blood being shed. Lord, your blood of the new covenant, Lord, that ushers in a new covenant, a covenant of grace for us. Your blood, Lord Jesus, that takes away our sin. Jesus, you cried out, it is finished. You paid our debt in full upon the cross. Jesus, we're thankful for you. Lord, we pray, God, that you'd help us to just move forward this week in faith, Lord God, with our eyes fixed on you, Lord, trusting you, and trusting, Lord, our, our problems, our trials, the situations that we're going through to you. God, we pray that you would use us this week, Lord. You'd be on our lips. You would be seen in our lives, Lord Jesus, that others would be drawn to you. Lord, as you work in and through us, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and the, all the glory, Lord, both now and forever. And we say this together as the people of God this morning. Amen.